Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to this week's episode of Mill Liberty. I am your host, Caleb Franz. This is the voice of liberty for a new generation. I am thrilled to have you here this week. This week, we are going international a little bit. Um, as you may or may not know, LibertyCon is approaching. It's the Students for Liberty Conference, international conference that they have every year in Washington, D.C., um, so for the next two weeks, we're going to be focusing on more international issues and in the liberty movement and how, um, how it is growing across the world and not just here in the United States. So this week, I brought on Bill Hort, who is an advocate with Young Voices. We've had uh, a few of them on before and a, an activist with Students for Liberty, and he is a podcast contributor here uh, on Outset Network. So what we go into on this episode is we we discuss the the liberty movement across Europe. Um, we talk about some of the misconceptions that a lot of uh, a lot of American leftists have about uh, what they call European socialism or democratic socialism. People like Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, and then we also discuss. Uh, some CPAC controversy that that was surrounded when um, Marion Le Pen was invited and, and, and speaks there. We talk about the fallout about that. And most importantly, how can we most appropriately spread the message of liberty uh, across the continent? Now, before I let you go and before I let you uh, enjoy this interview, I do have a few notes that I did forget to mention um, at the end of the show. Uh, like I said, LibertyCon is this weekend, so if you are in the area, if you are in Washington, D.C. at the conference um, and and would like to meet with me or um, would like to chat, I will be in the area. Next week, we have an interview that we will be conducting at LibertyCon with Students for Liberty CEO Wolf Von Lair, and... After that, we are going to have nothing but interviews on top of interviews throughout the entire month of March. Uh, like I said, we have Wolf next week. Uh, we'll have uh, Jennifer Grossman of the Atlas Society to talk about Ayn Rand, a very fun topic, uh, the week after that. And we we just have stack full of interviews throughout the month of March. And then in April, in April we're going to start a special series uh, on candidates leading up to the 2018 election. Uh, how, like last year, we had a, a, a summer interview series. This year, we're going to do it a little bit different and start just a little bit early. And we're going to do it about liberty candidates that I, I can at least present to you and say, these people are worth your consideration. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you that you need to to vote for them or support them or do whatever, but we're going to bring candidates from from uh, national, state, and local elections, bring them to the spotlight, and let them uh, make their case to you why they are a liberty candidate who will help save liberty on every level. So we'll be starting that in April, just a little preview ahead. Um, so without further ado, please sit back and enjoy my interview with Bill Wirtz. All right, Bill, welcome to the program. I'm thrilled to have you here. Yeah, great to be with you. It's um, very good to be on the program. <laughs> uh, so I, uh, there's, there's a few different things that I want to dive into you. Uh, and this is a, a topic, a subject matter that I have wanted to do for some time on the state of, of the liberty movement in uh, Europe. And, uh, but first of all, I, I, I just kind of want to get from you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us a little bit about 
um, your journey into liberty? Well, sure, yes. Uh, so I'm originally from Luxembourg. Um, that's, you might have to Google that. Uh, it's not on every map. It's certainly not on a world map. It's a very tiny country between <laughs> Germany, uh, France, and Belgium. Uh, it's, uh, it has its own language, but we are quite multilingual, so we also speak German uh, and French and, 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 of course, English. Um, and um, I started off in politics, actually, you know, sort of centrist, liberal, Democrat politics, and quite quickly noticed that politics really wasn't for me um, because my ideas were considered to be very far away from what people in my party considered to be liberal democracy. Uh, and then I, I, I started reading, um, I, I was reading Constant, Benjamin Constant, who's a, who's a, who's a, who's a 19, uh, 19th century uh, uh, French uh, philosopher. And then one of the recommendations on Wikipedia for Constant was Frederick Bastia, and I think the journey explains itself from there. Sure. Um, and then Bastia led me to Ron Paul's speeches and then to Students for Liberty eventually, which I joined in 2015. And in between, I had already started writing um, op-eds for uh, different newspapers in my country and then started to branch out, uh, try to go on the radio and different things. And I noticed that this was just a great opportunity to actually you know, use the libertarian message, which is so popular for many people that don't know about it yet, and actually bring it into mainstream news. Um, and that's what I've been doing since. I write for a lot of different outlets now. And uh, and I think there's a lot of libertarians that have this potential, um, but just don't realize that how much they can do. And I think you should always, you know, you shouldn't only advocate for libertarian philosophy as just a principle, but also integrate the you know, the message that we try to get out, the message is we believe in the individual and the potential. And that also believes that you should believe in yourself and the capabilities that you personally have to to grow and and to and to be effective. So, yeah. So that's what I've been doing over over the last years. Um, so that's that's an interesting uh, journey. And I'm curious how because in, in America, you know, we, we kind of take some things for granted because we have uh, liberty sort of founded in our in our documents and part of our culture even though we don't always <laughs> we don't always uphold to those those ideas um it's it's still kind of ingrained whereas um correct me if i'm wrong but that's not quite the same the same general uh feeling in in europe so what are kind of the the reactions that that you get from a, a lot of people when you're when you're talking about these ideas in europe I would say it's a struggle, I think, for both parties. Um, and and that, 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 in order to explain myself, uh, when you in, in, the, in the States, you argue for either freedom of speech or uh, gun rights, very often it comes down to, well, this is what it says in the First Amendment. This is what it says in the Second Amendment. Right. And that's not entirely intellectually challenging because what you do is you take a document and then you go, well, that's what it says in this document. And therefore, you know, uh, that's what we should believe in. In Europe, the discussion is a lot harder because now suddenly you don't have a document that really, you know, is founded on, you know, that principle. Um, and you have constitutions, which, you know, in which the articles usually, you know, the constitution of my country says that, you know, you have, you have freedom of speech, but your freedom of speech is governed by the law. Uh, which the law can then just say anything. So it's it's really it's 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 completely useless constitutions, especially on on fundamental rights on on that on that instance. Um, 
So you need to make the case quite differently. You need to make an intellectually consistent case. And especially when it comes to things like gun rights, uh, it's very, very difficult to explain this to people who never, you know, experienced these rights for at least for, for hundreds of years. Um, so I think I think that makes it considerably more more challenging um, to to really argue about the same libertarian ideas here. And I think you're very lucky, of course, in the U.S. that, you know, the, the you, you can't have the same infringements on on your on your on your liberty because there is this historical uh, mindset of, of skepticism towards government which well some libertarians in the US might not say well I mean that's that's an overstatement but really if you compare it to to Europe and I leave I lived in and I lived in France for three years um, it really is quite the difference and you're up against a completely different mindset and you have to even pick and choose your words, you know? Capitalism is not a word you even want to use in a discussion when you're in France. You can't say that word, capitalism. That's just completely out of the picture. And it's so far away that, just to give you um, an anecdote, we had, a, we had a, a, a meeting, a leadership forum with Students for Liberty in France, and it was organized in Paris. And one of the things that we talked about is which words can't we use in order to talk about liberty? And one of the words was capitalism. So that we should say free markets instead of capitalism. Now, this has been Republican strategy as well. But, you know, Republicans are actually still capable of using uh, uh, the word. While in France, we actually, can, you know, we, we really single it out as a word that that will really repulse uh, people. And and so, yeah, I mean, you're up against a completely different ideological mindset of people, and that's that, that's quite challenging. I can I can tell you. Have you feel like you've been able to, to kind of chip away at those preconceived notions that, well, government's just here for our benefit, it's here to, to help us, uh, it, it wouldn't really do us any wrong. Have, has there been any sort of leeway into, into planting those ideas? Well, that's a tough question. I mean, that's sort of like asking somebody from a company if their, if their ad on TV was effective. Ultimately, you can't really know. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I mean, I think I think you, you probably agree with this as well. You often have a discussion with people and you realize that the goal that you have is not really to convince the person or make them admit that they're wrong, but at least make them go home and think about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the next discussion, when, when it, the question comes up, like, should government do this and that, that they might be a bit more skeptical that they would have been otherwise. And I think that's really the goal of, 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 of that I have. Um, what I get from reactions of people is, um, and, and of course, I mean, we all, I think we all as libertarians have the friends who write to us and say, I really saw it differently, but I really agree with you 100% at this point. And that's, of course, a great feeling. And it's one of the things that I, and one of the reasons I do this for. Um, but it's also, you know, just the people who, who write comments on the newspaper uh, online articles and say, this is something really courageous. I'm really happy somebody said this. Because for the most part, I'm telling people something completely new. You have to realize that libertarianism, while being unknown to a certain degree in the U.S., is something completely unknown in Europe. These are ideas that are foreign to people. Um, Free speech as a principle of I am an individual and therefore, you know, I am allowed to express my views even if they offend you. That is not something that is not a notion that people even have. You don't have you don't start off with a group that has an understanding of this. It's just been that, oh, yeah, I mean, so our government sort of tolerates these people to, you know, government allows you to do things. That That's what it starts off with. You know, right. here, the government, the government gives you rights. It's not that your rights are 
you know, that, that there's no there's a notion of natural rights. I mean, natural rights in Europe died as a notion uh, in the uh, in in the at the beginning of the 20th century, uh, it had, and 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 that that is a big challenge we're up against. So the effect that I have, oh, that's really tough to say. I wish I could give you a more definitive answer. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I'm definitely I'm definitely causing some discussion, and that that's a good start. Right, that's that's very good, and I I am curious, who do you see as I guess the the ones that are a bit more challenging to convince the the left, the European left, or uh, those on the right? I know that that we're going to be talking here in a little bit about uh, CPAC's recent uh, invitation of of Le Pen. Um, and that is, is somewhat concerning and obviously she's, she's part of the European right. Which one of those are more, I guess, accepting of, of some of these ideas? Well, I mean, once again, you, you would have to really relativize the terms of right and left, um, because the struggle that you have in which you go, oh, in the US, I have to convince the right that individual liberty in terms of like social freedoms is something necessary and the left that their welfare programs don't work. In Europe, you have to convince both parties, both sides that their welfare programs don't work because there's no right wing that wants to get rid of them at all. Even the UK's conservative party, which is considered as to be the most right wing, is an absolute religious preacher for the National Health Service, which is completely government-run healthcare. Which even like these are healthcare systems that don't even like they, they don't even completely take charge of one system of health insurance. They try to get rid of any private competitor on the market. They try to get rid of any private insurer that could even try to compete with the government. So I mean, on, on that on that side. When it comes to when it comes to you know interventionism, economic interventionism, and, and welfare, the, the the struggle is exactly the same on both sides, and there's no difference between what you would call conservatives or social democrats whatsoever. Um, so that's something that, that's something to notice. Um, and then, of course, I mean, you know, there's there's a few issues in which we actually are a bit uh, a, a bit better in Europe, uh, especially when it comes to certain countries which adopt quite liberal drug policies. Um, so the, uh, the advantage that you have in Europe um, is that you can tell people, oh, look at this country, like Portugal when it comes to drugs, um, or like Bulgaria when it comes to having a flat tax. There's since these are individual countries, they have considerably more flexibility in, ter in terms of adopting different policies. And now suddenly you can give an example and say, well, this country, which is not that far away, uh, is actually able to to do it better, and that that has been the most effective tool, I think, on both sides. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, the, the, the struggle is that you know the, the the European right is absolutely not comparable. I mean, there's no there's no European right in which people read Ayn Rand. That that's really not a thing. Um, so you know, on the European right, as as we just uh, as we just mentioned. Um, Le Pen was recently invited to CPAC. Matt Schlapp made a, a very big deal about it, and really, a lot of people on on uh, on both sides of the Atlantic was very confused about this. I would say uh, about this uh, uh, decision to to invite her. Um, you wrote an article for the American Conservative because Matt said that she was a classical liberal. Uh, and that that uh, had a lot of people scratching their heads. So please, uh, real quick, kind of summarize 
what your response to that was. Well, yes. So um, I, of course, was quite shocked as, as well. I mean, especially because I've been following French politics for quite a while. Um, and um, despite, you know, Trump being um, a protectionist and, 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 and a nativist, I didn't expect this sort of decision. Um, and also, I'd like to just point out that we're talking about Marion Le Pen, for the listeners who don't know, um, who, which is the who is the niece of, of Marine Le Pen. So she's uh, she's 28 uh, and she's been in politics for quite a while already. She was the youngest member of the French National Assembly uh, elected in at the age of 22 only. Uh, so very young politician. She's been she's been in it for quite a while. She joined uh, her family's party. Uh, in, 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 in when she was 18. Um, so, and, and what I did in my piece for the American Conservative was that I, I was trying to explain to conservatives that she's not a conservative, she's a <laughs> European socialist, um, which is quite the difference from Nigel Farage. Nigel Farage also invited the so-called Brexit man, but at least Nigel Farage, when asked, he's an, he's an admirer of Margaret Thatcher. I disagree with him on immigration policy, but the man is at least a fiscal conservative, which is not something you can say about Marion Le Pen. I mean, she supports universal health care, just not for immigrants. Uh, she supports large benefits, but just not for immigrants. She supports a higher public sector pay, also not for immigrants, and a lower pension age, which would concern immigrants, but they would have left the country by the time that she's in government anyway. Um, so, 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 so she's, she's definitely an economic interventionist. She doesn't, like, she wouldn't agree with, with conservatives on anything. And, and the weirdest thing is that when she talks about the ideas that American conservatives have when she's back home, that's really where, where, where it gets interesting because her party has like, she, one word that's used a lot by the by the left and the far right actually uh, in Europe is neoliberalism that's their big enemy it's the global elite the neoliberals that try to uh, privatize our healthcare despite it spending more money and, and becoming actually bigger um, and and they continue to make this, this sort of their, their boogeyman and every idea that a republican congress pushes in terms of tax reform or or or, or healthcare would be viciously opposed by Marion Le Pen um, so the only reason she was invited, I mean, there's, there's, there's two reasons, basically. Uh, one of them is her anti-immigration policy, uh, because uh, she, she agrees with Trump on this, um, and uh, the fact that it, well, triggers, I would use that word, uh, leftists and moderate, moderate uh, Republicans, or, or true cons, or whatever the word now is. Um, that was sort of the idea. And, of course, it's exotic, you know, you have a... I listened to the speech. She 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 speaks in this uh, this uh, English with with a very thick French accent. So that's very exotic. Half the time you have no idea what she's actually saying. I would actually have need some subtitles. So so yeah, it was really just a show. As an idea, it was it was supposed to be a show, but it ends up saying a lot about conservatives these days in the U.S. because that's sort of the line that in my view was not supposed to be crossed. So I, I would understand from a, a certain perspective, just from the, the immigration uh, perspective, uh, frankly, um, why somebody like, or an organization like CPAC would invite them, but why 
on earth in in your view would would Matt call her something like a classical liberal? I have no idea where he got that idea. Um, I'm I'm not. I would love to <laughs> ask him what he think he thinks a classical liberal is. Uh, maybe he has this notion that a classical liberal is just um, a liberal with. I don't know. I, again, I, I have no idea. I have no idea what he thinks a classical liberal is. She's everything but. Also, he said that she's that she is a classical liberal and a conservative. If you actually read his tweets, um, so then again, no idea what that's supposed to mean. I don't know how you could be both at the same time. At least not in the notion that Americans seem to have about those two terms. Um, I mean, yeah, it's um, it's quite it's quite disconcerting. And also because you know she she has some opinions as to how to unite which she calls unite the right. And she used that term way before there was this rally <laughs> in the US. Um, and, and, and I actually talk about this in the piece, uh, that she said that she wants to unite the right. And then she said, ranging from Republicans to identitarians. And she used the word quite specifically. Um, now, you have to know that the identitarian movement was created in France. It was a movement originated in France. It's, it's basically being a Nazi just with a different haircut and a new flag. Uh, it's a hipster Nazi movement. It's really just exact, the, the exact same ideas. Um, uh, and the group, the group, like, you know, they, 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 some of them have been imprisoned, of course, because uh, they, staged, uh, they staged very dangerous protests. Uh, they have, uh, uh, they've gone to Italy in order to try and stop refugee boats it's 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 a very very odd group and and it's uh, and it's not something that belongs in any type and any shape or form uh in in a, in, a, in, a, in a in a conservative movement she's been seen at anti-identitarian uh meetings so uh yeah again she's really not the person to invite it really sends a very bad message as to it's sort of it's sort of you know it's sort of the message like oh the enemy of my enemy is my friend that seems to be the dogma these days mm -hmm. for for conservatives, you know. Right, and I, I don't know if you've ever uh, been to CPAC, but I remember just three years ago I, I went and and it was just a sea of uh, of libertarians in there. And now this has been quite the reversal in in just the past couple of years um, about about what kind of people they're they're bringing to invite there now. Yeah, and I mean, I haven't, I haven't actually been. I hadn't had the, the pleasure um, to to attend yet. And I think actually after after seeing the speakers list this time, maybe I, I'd reconsider doing it, even if I was in the U.S. But um, no, I mean, then again, it it, it is, um, and, and it was a diverse group. And I mean, government Governor Gary Johnson spoke as well. But there is, of course, a policy shift. And I mean, if you deal with the organizer of a conference, and I really recommend people to actually check out his Twitter and see what he responds to people. Mm -hmm. it, it is it is it is very very disconcerting if this is mainstream conservatism now mm -hmm. because then then the, the then the term doesn't have meaning anymore and maybe this is actually a window for libertarians to say well those disenfranchised conservatives those what i don't know i don't know weekly standard and national review uh, uh readers they should reconsider some of the social policy social uh, freedom policies that they have and 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 actually align closer with libertarianism these days i think this along with the election uh, in 2016 is a very good opportunity for libertarians to make the case to actually enlarge uh, the movement and, and actually pick up those disenfranchised conservatives. Because if this continues 
and uh, and you can invite these types of people to your conferences, well, then there's no place for you anymore. If you're a moderate Republican, then there's no place for you uh, at a CPAC conference anymore. Um, so let's let's shift gears just a little bit. Um, a lot of American leftists, a lot of those on the uh, American left who are very ideological in nature, people like Bernie Sanders or, or Elizabeth Warren, um, tend to point to uh, certain European countries as sort of models for what they envision their their uh, policies to to work like, and they see these as as great successes. Bernie Sanders always talks about. Uh, Denmark and and the Nordic nations being these these great examples of of uh, socialism and uh, and universal healthcare and and all these different things. What? Well, I guess what what is kind of your reaction to that? Because uh, I I don't really see a whole lot of very convincing arguments from those on the right about this. Well, I think one of the one of the very convincing responses to Bernie Sanders' comparison to Denmark was the Danish Prime Minister who told Bernie Sanders online that Denmark is not a socialist country. <laughs> um, and 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 again, I mean, Scandinavian countries—that's a broad term. There's quite a few countries in there, and they have different tax policies and and different histories and different natural resources. I mean, for instance, if you look at Norway, Norway is sitting on a lot of oil and having big welfare programs when you're sitting on a lot of oil suddenly becomes very easy and i think uh and i think that really uh distorts uh the 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 things that people need to know about these countries um i one thing that i can recommend is the the institute of of economic affairs in in the uk uh, you can check this out online has a book out called scandinavian unexceptionalism i really recommend reading that i think it's for free online i'm pretty sure you can get a pdf on their website, so Scandinavian Unexceptionalism, very good book, explains a lot of these things. Um, and I would say, you know, when people when people compare these countries, what you have to know is you can only distribute money that you that you made before. So if there's a country that looks like it has a lot of benefits, and yet it's not a socialist hellhole, there's another reason why it's not. Um, in the case of Sweden you see that Sweden made quite significant uh, economic reforms at the end of the 1970s. Um, so sort of the, the same range when you had, you had changes uh, in the UK, because they noticed that their social welfare programs weren't working. So they made economic reforms, which are some of them still in place today. The, uh, the, uh, the corporate income tax in Sweden is, is much lower than, than most than most countries uh, in Europe, so so there, there's a few things to know about this too. Um, many 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 politicians also include the Baltic countries in these Scandinavian countries, which is a bit misleading um, because these countries have very very different different, different policies. You know, this, Estonia has a flat income tax of fifteen percent. Um, the the a, a, a tax um, um, oh, what you call that again? And when you when you have to do your taxes, it's actually just one page. Uh, uh, in, in Estonia, and they're very, very open to to business and actually negotiate business tax rates uh, to very, very low uh, rates uh, individually for big companies. So these 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 countries understand that in order to distribute money, you have to you have to make it first. Um, and what you see, especially for Sweden, is that this has shifted their politics a lot to more center right conservative politicians because. Uh, the left has just been distributing money over the over the past decades, and they actually noticed that 
the money's running out and that's why they're actually shifting policies. And you see this very well in Denmark, which has been uh, uh, run by different minority uh, center-right governments for quite a while now and has been making reforms and actually cuts to, to this welfare spending. So, um, and then one last thing, which is important to know, is that not all countries have the same work ethic. Um, that, that, that is something in Europe, again, this goes against political correctness in Europe, not everybody has, has the same work ethic. Uh, you don't have the same work ethic in Greece, where it's 40 degrees during the day, than you have in Scandinavia. And that is just a fact. Uh, and you cannot expect and you cannot implement as long as you have, if you want to have an interventionist uh, government, you can't implement the same policies in these different areas. And you can't expect to compare this a, a social welfare policy from one region which is completely different, has a completely different background um, in order to in order to further your political goal. Also, Bernie Sanders wasn't even advocating for the same sort of economic policies. You know, he was right. I, he was just advocating for the benefits. He wasn't advocating for the same corporate tax rates or income tax rates than these countries have. Right. So yeah, a lot of a lot of distortion and a lot of people who do not make the effort of actually informing themselves about it. Uh, what what country do you, in in your view, do you think is is the closest at doing it, uh, doing it as close to libertarian as possible? Switzerland, absolutely Switzerland. Not uh, not only am I in love with Switzerland because it's a beautiful country and I really recommend going there. It's also one of the countries that has comes the closest to being having a libertarian mindset without actually knowing what libertarianism is. If you look at the history of Switzerland, Switzerland is a bunch of cantons of people who were sick of the different empires in Europe and said, let's get together just for the sake of having a country to get rid of all these interventionist emperors and form a country that actually has some freedom and where we can do and do commerce as we as we like. Now, of course, I mean, my Swiss, my Swiss libertarian friends would say, oh, well, I mean, you have to relativize quite a bit. But in comparison, if you look, the Cato Institute did the Human Freedom Index uh, and uh, Switzerland won by and large. Um, I think the New Heritage Foundation Index put Switzerland on economic freedom at number four. Uh, the tax rate can go as low as, the, your income tax rate can go as low as, I think, 4%, 5%. Um, and, uh, and, and for businesses, it's equally interesting. And a, a, another thing which you need to know about Switzerland, it's actually favoring localism as a policy. That means that the power of the of the of the of the of the government, the central government, is drawn only by the regions, and that's why the regions have a lot of demands and have the power, the political power, to actually make demands. So each time that that Bern, which is the capital of Switzerland, goes, oh, we want to have this policy, and we want to get rid of this and that, and we want to have more control and implement a minimum wage, um, the cantons go, oh, this is actually very. Uh, uninteresting for the companies in our in our region and, and the people don't agree with it and therefore we can't have it and then it never happens. Um, so there's a mindset which in which people actually want local government to be to be actually still have a say, uh, which you don't have in many 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 regions in Europe. So my answer definitely would be would be Switzerland. Uh, so when this episode is is released, we'll be uh, very close to LibertyCon. You'll you'll be there, uh, correct? Yes, exactly. I'll be at LibertyCon uh, the whole weekend, yes. All right, perfect. Uh, what are you looking forward to most? 
I mean, it's the first time I'm actually going to LibertyCon in the US. Um, so I, 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 I'm very much going to be uh, interested, especially to meet the people that I know in the Liberty Movement already um, through social media to actually meet people in person. Um, and for people to actually, actually notice that I, that I, that I have this weird British accent, um, which my first English teacher gave me. Um, and, uh, and yeah, to really experience the differences. I mean, there's a difference in focus as well, um, between the, the, the American libertarians, you have very different talking points, you have very different issues that you care about. And I really want to learn, you know, I go, I go to different countries all the time. And what I'm, you know, what I'm most interested in is really learn about the priorities that people have there. Um, that is not only the American priorities that I read about in the press, but that can also be local ones. Um, because there's people are going to be from all different states. And, you know, I, I, Europeans always complain about Americans not knowing any of the countries or the cultures in Europe, but it's the exact same thing for us. <laughs> like, none of us would even be able to put three different states on a map, but we expect Americans to do the same for us. So I really want to learn more about the different accents and different cultures and different uh, uh, ideological and political priorities of, of, of people from all over the United States. Well, that's uh, that's very exciting. I'm very, uh, very excited to see you there. Um, I, I want to do a quick sort of lightning round, I guess. Um, you don't have to have short answers, but I'm just going to keep it moving as we, uh, as we start to close out here. Uh, cool. So what book would you say has influenced you the most in the ideas of liberty? The Law by Frederick Bastian. That's a it's a great book. I, I would entirely agree with that. Um, what individual would would you also uh, place as probably the most influential um, in 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 your thinking? Well, I would say Ron Paul because that was the most accessible to me um, as somebody who didn't know much about it and 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 still is. I mean, I I, I always recommend. I always recommend libertarians who shift a bit too much to the right when it comes to immigration these days to listen to the old Ron Paul speeches and and see where the real priorities lie. Uh, I, I'm I'm just curious, and I, I know I said I would keep it moving, but I <laughs> you you sparked a question here. Um, how popular is Ron Paul in uh, in the European liberty movement compared to the American? I think most of the people in our, in our movement are absolutely aware that it's that we only exist. I mean, especially Students for Liberty, uh, as, as as a movement, only exists because of Ron Paul. Uh, and I think I, I haven't met people so far in Europe who are unaware of him. I think all the the memes and the it's happening uh, and all, all the <laughs> quotes. I think we're all very well aware of it. Uh, although, I mean, some of the things that he talks about, of course, of course, very U.S. specific, but not being nation building, not going into different countries. That was very much true for many European countries as well. So the the things that he talked about were not only uh, uh, very uh, very interesting for an American audience, actually. That's very interesting. Um, where can people find you on uh, social media and and online? Well, people are more than welcome uh, for SFL or in different organizations to add me add me on Facebook or follow me on Facebook, but also especially follow me on Twitter. That's at Wirtz Bill. That's W-I-R-T-Z Bill. Um, and of course, on my on my website as well, WirtzBill.com, uh, where you can find all my articles and uh, different podcasts, uh, appearances that I, that, I, that I do. All right. Perfect. And um, we have had a very good time having you on this program here, of course. And uh, for everyone listening, you can follow me at Caleb Franz on Twitter, um, follow the show at Mill Liberty on Twitter, 
And be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes so that you'll never miss an episode or an update. And also check us out on Patreon because we now have a a Patreon um, and we would love your support. And until next week, we'll see you.